I'm particularly grateful today to have the privilege of introducing our speaker, a relatively young man who has devoted his entire life to work in the church in addition to earning a living. My guess is he's devoted more time to the church than he has to earning a living. He's a graduate of the University of Utah, where he majored in business management and graduated with honors. He was later an instructor at the University of Utah, served as manager of the Deseret News Press for a considerable period of time, was president of the printing industry of Utah, affiliated with a large number of the civic clubs of Salt Lake City, and like most of the general authorities, has held large number of different positions in the church. Ward clerk, bishop's counselor, bishop, president of a mission, Canadian mission, after which he was area supervisor of nine Salt Lake stakes in 1962, and called as a member of the Council of the Twelve in October of 1963. He's a very active member of the Board of Trustees of this institution, has many constructive suggestions, and we're always happy to have him on our campus, and I'm sure that you students will appreciate the message he's had for you today, Elder Thomas S. Monson. When Professor Cox, in the invocation, asked our Heavenly Father that Brother Monson might give the message which he has in his heart, he was certainly speaking the truth because that's the only place the message is at this particular moment. And so I earnestly seek the help of my Heavenly Father that I might present to you some thoughts which would be meaningful in your lives and which would be pleasing in the sight of our Heavenly Father. President Wilkinson indicated that I'm always welcome here at the campus. I might confide to you that my schedule permitted me to see two football games earlier this season. And at the conclusion of the second one, after which our institution had lost the game, and incidentally we lost the first one I saw, <laughs> Brother Wilkinson said, I'm not sure I'm going to send you any more tickets. <laughs> but he did, and the third one was the one that made the determination, and of course we emerged victorious. But I can't come to this great field house without recollecting my young manhood and my boyhood. In fact, I can't walk on this institution but what I don't think of the words of the poet, backward, turn backward, O time in thy flight, Make me a boy again just for tonight. And this is the thought that I've had as I have in my memory gone back over my university experiences. I stand behind this basket and I gaze into the other basket. And I must confess that it brings back a memory which wasn't so pleasant, which I may have mentioned here before. I played a lot of basketball and baseball and other activities in my day. And I remember after a particularly grueling first half of a basketball game in which I'd played most of the half, our team was trailing by just 
one or two points. And the coach called me to his side and he gave me the play that was to be run in the next few seconds. And then he patted me on the back and sent me onto the floor. And I remember taking the pass from the guard and dribbling in, I played center, for the layup shot. I was amazed because the guards of the opposing team seemed to open up and let me through as I charged toward the basket. And as I let that ball spin from my fingertips, I had a horrible awareness of why the guards had opened up the way. I was shooting toward the wrong goal. Now I want to assure you, if you've ever heard a young man pray, I was that young man. And it was rather interesting to me to watch that ball. It rimmed the hoop and went round and round and round and fell out. I heaved a sigh of relief, and just then the cheering section came alive, and I heard a great cry. In unison they yelled, We want Monson. <laughs> and again came the cry, We want Monson. We want Monson out. <laughs> The coach listened to the cheering section. <laughs> and I hope that after the conclusion of my message today, I won't hear that same cry from this large cheering section here at the Brigham Young University. I came down here in a snowstorm, and my thoughts turned to the season of the year in which we find ourselves, a season which can be so meaningful if we will but let it, and I remembered, as I heard my little son last evening stand before the fireplace and recite what he thought was a new poem, I remembered that this was the Christmas season. The poem which he recited commenced like this. He said, Daddy, I've learned a new poem, and I'd like to teach it to you. I think you'll like it. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And on he went." He said, "'Isn't that a wonderful poem, Daddy?' And I had an opportunity to tell him it was a wonderful poem, because almost everything that I associate with Christmas becomes meaningful to me. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of taking my family downtown as Santa Claus made his appearance. It was interesting. Crowds gathered. One little girl, I particularly noticed, had been standing on the side of the curb. It seemed like many minutes waiting for this great event. And just as Santa Claus was to make his entry, great throngs of people crowded in front of her, and she began to cry. A six-foot-three man stood by her and asked her, What's the matter, dear? She said, I've been waiting to see Santa, and now I can't see him. Well, he picked her up and put her on his shoulders, and she had a commanding view. And as Santa Claus came by, she waved her little hand toward him. And he waved back to her and everyone else that was in the crowd. And he smiled. And that little girl just grabbed the hair of that great big fella. 
And she said, he saw me, he saw me, and he smiled at me. I'm so glad it's Christmas. That little girl had the Christmas spirit. I thought back of another little boy under different circumstances who had the Christmas spirit. When as a very young elder, I went to the old primary children's hospital on North Temple Street, there to provide blessings for the sick children. As we entered the door, we noted the Christmas tree with its lights ablaze. We saw beautiful packages carefully wrapped beneath its outstretched limbs. And then we went through the corridors where tiny boys and tiny girls, some with a cast upon an arm, some with a cast upon a leg, others with ailments which perhaps could not be cured so readily, each one with a smile upon his face. I walked toward the bedside of one little boy, and he said, What is your name? I told him. He said, Will you give me a blessing? The blessing was provided. And as we turned to leave his bedside, he said, Thank you. And we walked a few steps, and then I heard his little call, Brother Monson. And I turned. He said, Merry Christmas to you. And a great smile flashed across his countenance. That boy had the Christmas spirit, as did the little girl in downtown Salt Lake City. And this spirit of Christmas, or Christmas spirit said another way, is something which I would hope that every student of the Brigham Young University would have within his heart and within his life, not only at this particular season of the year, but throughout every day. I had the privilege of going to Atlanta, Georgia, not too long ago, and there I saw the church where Peter Marshall presided. And I thought of his declaration and his urge when he spoke to the people and asked, let us not spend Christmas and let us not observe Christmas necessarily, but let us keep Christmas in our hearts and in our lives. And this would be my plea today, because when we keep the spirit of Christmas, we keep the spirit of Christ, because the Christmas spirit is the Christ spirit. I remember reading the words of one man who had a keen insight into the Christmas spirit. Perhaps I might recall him. He said, I am the Christmas spirit. I enter the home of poverty and cause pale-faced children to open wide their eyes in pleased wonder. I cause the misers to release their clutched hands, thus painting bright spots upon their souls. I cause the aged to remember their youth and to laugh in the glad old way. I bring romance to childhood and brighten dreams woven with magic. I cause eager feet to climb dark stairways with filled baskets, leaving behind hearts amazed at the goodness of the world. I cause the prodigal to pause in his wild and wasteful way and send to anxious love some little token which releases glad tears, washing away the hard lines of sorrow. I enter dark prison cells causing scarred manhood to remember what might have been and pointing to days 
better days yet to be, I enter the still, white home of pain, and there, lips that are too weak to speak just tremble in silent, eloquent gratitude. In a thousand ways I cause this weary old world to look up into the face of God and for a few moments forget everything that is small and wretched. You see, I am the Christmas spirit. This is the spirit I pray we might have. Because when we have the spirit of Christmas, we shall remember whose birth we commemorate at this season of the year. We remember that first Christmas day, a Christmas day which was prophesied by the prophets of old. You with me recall the words of Isaiah when he said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And again Isaiah declared, For unto us a child is born, and he shall be called the Prince of Peace. And on this the American continent, the prophets said, The time soon cometh, and is not far distant, when with power the Lord Omnipotent shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay. He shall suffer temptation and pain, and he shall be called Jesus Christ being the Son of God. And then, my fine brothers and sisters, came that night of nights when the shepherds were abiding in the fields and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, Fear not, for I bring you tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the shepherds with haste went to the manger and worshipped before Christ the Lord. And you'll remember, too, that those three wise men made a similar journey, announcing that they had seen a star in the east and had followed it and had come to worship before the Christ child. And as they bowed down before him and Mary, his mother, they opened the wares which they had brought and presented gifts. In this instance, gifts of frankincense and gold and myrrh. And since that time, the spirit of giving gifts has been uppermost in the minds of each one of us as we commemorate this Christmas season, each year of our lives. I wonder if we might profit today, if we should ask ourselves, what gifts would God have me give to him or give to others? at this precious season of the year? I feel that I might answer that question and declare in all solemnity to you that our Heavenly Father would want every student at Brigham Young University and each one of us to render unto him a gift of obedience, that we would actually love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind and all our strength, and then I'm sure he would expect us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And then I wouldn't be surprised if he were here today, if he wouldn't instruct us to give of ourselves, not to be selfish, nor greedy, nor contentious, nor quarrelsome, 
remembering the words of the Savior in 3 Nephi when he said, Let there be no disputations among you, for verily, verily, I say unto you, Contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who stirreth up the hearts of men to contend in anger one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine, to stirreth up the hearts of men to contend in anger, but this is my doctrine, that such things should be done away. So I would plead with you to rid from your lives any spirit of contention, any spirit wherein we might vie one with another for the spoils of life, but rather that we might cooperatively work with our brethren and with our sisters for the fruits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, I trust that we'll not forget this Christmas season, the gratitude that must be within our hearts and which yearns to be expressed. I hope that no one of you will take your birthright for granted. I hope that no one here will forget his mother or his father, but rather that we might honor our fathers and honor our mothers. And what finer Christmas gift could they receive than to know that a son or a daughter was honoring them by honoring God and living the commandments of the gospel of Christ? I recognize that you represent the hope and the dream of parents everywhere in the world. Just this weekend, I was in Corpus Christi, Texas. A proud father came forward to me and slipped into my hand a letter from his son serving in the Australian mission. I'd like to read this letter to you. It may form the format whereby each of you might write a similar letter to your parents as an extra Christmas gift this year. He says, Dear Mom and Dad, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the many wonderful things you have done for me. I want to thank you for listening to the message the elders presented to you when they knocked at your door, and thank you for the way you grasped the gospel and made it the mold around which you shaped your lives and the lives of your children. I love each of you very much. Thank you for the way you taught me, for your love, which you expressed in many ways. Thank you for directing me in the right pathways, for showing me instead of forcing me. I am thankful for your beautiful testimonies and for the guiding love in which you helped me gain mine. I know the gospel is true. My few experiences here have strengthened my testimony. I pray that I might live up to your expectations, and with God's help, I will. Thank you again, Mom and Dad. Your loving son, David. What finer expression could a boy give his parents than the gift of gratitude? And I would hope that in addition to the gift of gratitude which you bestow upon your parents, that you will remember that your loved ones, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your friends, those with whom you mingle and associate on this great campus, can benefit and be profited if you will give of yourselves in helping them to see the truth and helping them around the quicksands of life which would claim them 
if only those quicksands could. I would hope that you might be able to light a spark in the lives of others and enable them to see their possibilities rather than the problems which beset them day by day. I would hope that we would become expert in the field of human relations, that we could well take an example out of the leaf of the book of Robert Woodruff, a man who went from one end of this country to the other, telling us how we might better get along one with another. He developed what he called a capsule course in human relations. I believe that I might recall that capsule course for you today. He said, Remember the five most important words in the English language are these. I am proud of you. The four most important words in the English language are these. What is your opinion? The three most important words, if you please. The two most important words, thank you. And the least important word of all, I. Isn't that the spirit of Christmas, really? To forget self and to think of others? I clipped an item from the diary of Mrs. Rebecca Ryder, December 25, 1847. I feel it adds to the points we're discussing. The winter was cold. Christmas came and the children were hungry. I had brought a peck of wheat across the plains and hid it under a pile of wood. I thought I would cook a handful of wheat for the baby. Then I thought how we would need wheat for seed in the spring, so I left it alone. In our bounteous lives, it pays us to reflect upon more meager Christmas seasons of our pioneer forebears. You might say to yourselves, but this is yesterday. What about today? What about 1966, the season and the year in which I live? Have times changed? Is everyone so well off that he doesn't need a little of that which I might offer? And to you I would answer, times have not changed. The commandments of God are the same. The principles of gratitude and giving of oneself are the same. Because today, like in yesterday, there are hearts to gladden and there are lives to cheer, and there are blessings to bestow upon our fellow men. You might say, I am ill-equipped. My talents are so few. And then I would ask you to take a little journey with me, a journey to a hospital in Salt Lake City, the University Hospital there, where a few weeks ago I had the privilege of being summoned to the side of a man a man who was a member of the Church in name only, a man who violated many of the commandments of God, but a man who was dying nonetheless. As I walked into the hospital ward, I noted a sign on the doorway, Intensive care. Enter only upon permission by the nurse. I sought the permission, and I went to the bedside of this good man. The great heart machine was standing by his side, mechanically taking over when his heart would falter. An oxygen mask covered his face. He looked up at me, 
But there was no glimmer of recognition in his eyes because the man in whose presence I stood was totally blind. And yet as he heard my voice and he thought back of more pleasant times, tears began to stream from those sightless eyes and he asked a blessing from the hands of the priesthood of God. At the conclusion of that blessing I recalled how this good man had been blessed with a beautiful voice and while he was not a regular attender at church he would come particularly on Mother's Day and would sing that beautiful number Mother McCray, Mother McCree and then he would sing that hymn M is for the many things she does for me and so forth put them all together they spell mother and no person who ever heard him sing didn't, have a, didn't leave him, but what he had a greater appreciation for his mother and honored her and womanhood in his life. And similarly, he would participate in Christmas programs and would sing that number, O Holy Night. And no person who heard him sing came away without dedicating his life to better serving the Lord and keeping Christmas rather than spending Christmas. And the thought came into my countenance and I'm sure into my heart, here is a man who in his own humble way has used the talent which God has given him to bring joy and happiness into the lives of others. Now multiply his talent, a beautiful voice, with the many talents which you possess, eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that know and feel and then think where your Christmas opportunity might be this very year. And it may come at a time when you least expect it. Like in 1950, when as a very young bishop there was a tap at my door and a good German brother from Ogden, Utah announced himself as Carl Gertler. And he said, Are you Bishop Monson? I answered in the affirmative. He said, My brother and his wife and his family are coming from Germany. They're going to live in your ward. Will you come with me to see the apartment we have rented for them? And on the way to that apartment, he told me he hadn't seen his brother for something like 30 years. And yet all through that Holocaust of World War II, his brother Hans Gertler had been faithful to the church, an officer in the Hamburg branch. I looked at that apartment. It was cold. It was dreary. The paint was peeling from the walls. The cupboards were bare. What an uninviting home for the Christmas season of the year. And I worried about it. And I prayed about it. And in our ward welfare committee meeting, we did something about it. The group leader of the high priest said, I'm an electrician. Let's put new appliances in that apartment. The group leader of the 70s said, I'm in the floor covering business. Let's carpet the apartment. The elders quorum president was an elder. He said, I'm a painter. Let's paint that apartment. And the Relief Society spoke up. Did you say those cupboards were bare? They weren't bare very long with the Relief Society in action. And then the young people, represented through the ironic priesthood general secretary, said, let's put a Christmas tree in the home and let's go among our young people and gather gifts to place under the tree. You should have seen that Christmas season when the Gertler family arrived from Germany in clothing which was tattered, with faces which were drawn by the rigors of war and deprivation.
But as they went into that apartment, you should have seen those faces turn, as it were, toward God as they saw what had been in actual fact a transformation, a beautiful home. We seem to begin to sing automatically, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. We sang in English, they sang in German, and at the conclusion of that hymn, Hans Gertler threw his arms around my neck and buried his face in my shoulder and repeated over and over again those words which I shall never forget, Mein brother, mein brother, mein brother. And as we walked down the stairs that night, all of us who had participated in making Christmas come alive into the lives of this German family, we reflected upon the words of the Master, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. This is the spirit of Christmas. This is the spirit which I ask we carry in our hearts, remembering the words of Charles Dickens, recalling old Marley's ghost appearing to Ebenezer Scrooge, and he said, not to know that any Christian spirit working in its tiny sphere will find its life far too short for its vast means of usefulness, not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused. Yet such was I, oh, such was I. And then Marley said, At this season of the rolling year, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never lift them to that blessed star which guided wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light might have conducted me? May we learn a lesson from the pen of Dickens and from the words of Jesus Christ. May we lift our eyes heavenward and look upward and outward into the lives of others. May we remember this Christmas season it is more blessed to give than to receive. And in so doing, I bear testimony to you, the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of Christmas will find a place in your heart and in your life, and you will feel rather compelled to say, this has been the finest Christmas ever, and this would precisely be my wish, my prayer, that each of you might have the finest Christmas ever, that our Heavenly Father might find in us the spirit of obedience to his divine law. In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, amen. amen.